Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks for tuning in here. We're recording this conversation on Tuesday, November 9th, 2021, one week after Election Day, the momentous, monumental 2021 New York City election cycle. We haven't seen anything like this for eight years where so much of city government was turning over new office holders in so many seats, not all, but many, many seats due to term limits and a lot to still break down here as we continue to discuss the outcomes of those elections and also look ahead, uh, looking ahead to who will be the new city government come January 1st and the transition periods for a number of elected officials who are switching offices or coming in anew to city government. And we, of course, also look ahead to what's going to be happening on the government side of things in these final weeks of the de Blasio administration and this city council class and others. And we look at the state level, of course, we've been covering on this show over the last uh, number of months uh, and at GothamGazette.com, of course, the transition from Governor Andrew Cuomo to Governor Kathy Hochul. And we look ahead to 2022, not only what will be a very important and busy uh, year of governing ahead, but also a state election year. So there is a lot going on and a lot coming up, but we are still breaking down the election results. We know just about everything. There's a few city council contests where they're about to start counting absentee ballots. So those will be determined in the coming days and weeks. And we know just about everyone that will be in the next class of city government taking office January 1st, for the most part. Many, many office holders will be new, including about two thirds of the city council, new mayor and Eric Adams, of course, new controller and Brad Lander, several new borough presidents, But not everyone will be new, like my guest today, the New York City public advocate, Jamani Williams. He's a Democrat who just won a full term in that citywide position, a post that he originally won in a 2019 special election and then had to keep winning elections that year to finally uh, serve out the rest of what was Letitia James's term as public advocate. And now Jamani Williams is finishing that term and then has now won a full term in the position, but we will see if he winds up serving in that role for the full next four years, because we have a lot to talk about with Jumani Williams, who's considering his own run for governor in the primary that's just under seven months away in June 2022. So if your head is not spinning there, um, you might be too much of a political junkie already. Uh, my, my conversation with public advocate Jumani Williams in just a moment. First, very quickly, Uh, Do check out all of our latest reporting at GothamGazette.com. We have been reporting on Mayor-elect Eric Adams and much, much more, uh, some government, some politics, and where they intersect, of course. And if you've missed any recent episodes of the podcast, find Max Politics wherever you get podcasts. We have all the episodes at the Gotham Gazette website if you prefer to listen through there. I've had some really good, interesting conversation in recent weeks and months about city and state politics with a wide variety of officials, candidates, advocates, journalists, and more. I won't go through the rundown of the guests. They've been many great conversations, including with several city council members who hope to be the next speaker of the council. So find all those at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts. There's a whole lot there to dig into. But first here, let's talk with Jamani Williams, public advocate. How are you? I'm hanging in, Ben. Hanging in. How about yourself? Thanks for having me. Doing okay, thank you. Yeah, I feel uh, I feel like coming out of the elections and uh, and everything happening with with COVID. There's a lot of positive news, but it's a lot. There's a lot going on, and then of course you uh, 
personally, uh, I hope I hope some listeners uh, at least saw uh, a piece on the PIX11 news with Ayanna Harry, who's, who's a friend of mine uh, and who I work with on some, some pieces. She did a, a profile of you and your wife and uh, your journey towards parenthood that everybody should check out. But that was a, a powerful emotional piece. So I'm sure after that aired last night, um, it, it's been a lot over the last uh, 24 hours here for you. I know it has. I you know, thank my wife, India, for, for her courage and in, in in sharing that story. And hopefully, can help some other folks is what what we found is as we began sharing there's so much of this story um although it's personal and traumatic for us it's not as unique as as people think and so we're hoping sharing can can bring some of that to light and bring some changes i haven't watched it it's tough for me to watch so i haven't but mm-hmm. um feedback has just been overwhelmingly positive and i and, and, I, and I know I, I knew when we when we chose Ayana that uh, she would uh, really take care and tell the story, and it really feels like she did. And she did. And and given how uh, emotional it is and tough, I won't ask you to recount it here, but people should um, should definitely check out the the Pix Eleven uh, piece, and it's it's available online. I watched it online last night. Uh, very very powerful, and and folks should. Um, expect to be moved uh if you if you watch it so uh, be prepared for that um so we we wish you luck and health uh there certainly um sure yeah absolutely um on the political side of things uh congratulations on your on your re-election victory um what do you let's let's put aside this potential governor run for a second here let's stick with the public advocate race um what do you see winning re-election here? What do you sort of see as your mandate from the voters to do if you, as you remain public advocate, even if you run for governor, you wouldn't, and you win, you wouldn't take that office for well over another year. So uh, as you continue to be public advocate, what's your mandate from voters? What do you think you need to do to approach the job here in the coming months? You know, first, this is quite literally the, the, Maybe fourth or fifth time it's been a, uh, it's been an election. At least three or four where I actually had people running uh, against me. So it's just an honor to have New Yorkers take time out of their day and actually find my name on a ballot and bubble it in like multiple times in the past few years. that we cannot return to normal. situation of the epicenter and the one thing that we should do and to honor all the people that we left, that that left us, um, that are no longer here is not return to normal. And I really want to be a voice in pushing, filling in the infrastructure that weren't there for so many communities. Public safety is a huge issue for me. I know it's one for a lot of folks. And the way we truly get to public safety is dealing with uh, some of the structural issues that existed for quite some time. What we often do is get to the discussions around policing and prisons and, um, and you know, law enforcement. I always say have a definite role to play. The question is, what's that role? Where are the other roles? Are they properly resourced uh, and uh, structurally put into a place that they can have impact? And that's an important conversation that I, I want to make sure I continue to have. Let's stick with a couple of big issues that have been focus issues for you for a while. One is the public safety conversation that you just mentioned. The other one, housing. Uh, we can go back to housing in a minute. But on public safety, policing, um, there's going to be something of a reset coming up. Uh, I don't know how you're thinking about it, but you know there'll obviously be a new mayor in Eric Adams. He's public safety, policing, uh, 
the centerpiece really of his campaign as a former NYPD captain, the rise in gun violence that we saw happening as the Democratic primary was unfolding. Obviously, that took center stage. So this conversation has has really been happening. You said in endorsing Maya Wiley in the Democratic primary, you were, you, were, you know, you were concerned about some of the things that Eric Adams was saying in the campaign. Last time you and I talked, you said, you know, listen, I was concerned about some of the things he was saying, but I also uh, you know, ranked him on my ballot. I've had a long relationship with him as as two Brooklyn elected officials. Uh, you know, I've seen him show up on on reform issues that I care about. So as you look ahead to this reset that's about to happen, and Eric Adams will name a police commissioner and and set out more of his vision. What are you trying to make sure that he hears that he does? What are you watching for? What are you concerned about? How are you thinking about the reset that's happening soon on on policing in this city? <clears throat> Uh, and I think I, I still agree with everything that I said and, and everything that you said. <laughs> so there are definitely uh, had been concerns. There still is concerns. Uh, but there also is in this part often got lost. There's also lots of points of agreement and for what we've worked uh, for some time, especially around things uh, like gun violence. And so I'm hoping the points of agreement are where we can get the conversation started. Um, you know, I, I hear folks oftentimes, uh, you know, trying to blame me and others for the increase in violence, but, but they have a they have a problem because if they if they want to do that and they're often comparing the numbers now to where we were in 2018, 2019, I say, well, if you want to, you know, blame me for the, ro- the rise in the violence now, then you have to credit me for the decrease in, in crime from 2010 to 2019, because um, it was the same policies at that moment in time. One of the primary differences is that we had a pandemic and we can't you know, push that aside. We also never had full buy-in from this administration. We've also we've had to fight so much uh, along the way, even as we did get resources for our community. So I want to credit uh, this administration for that. It was never structuralized in a way. It always seemed like some of these conversations were happening at the kids table. And then you had the adults table where the law enforcement were. Um, and that's that's not a good way to look at this. And so my hope is that but we can go back to uh, the discussions we were having that got us to 2018 and 2019 and really structuralize them in a way um, that makes them a full part of how we look at public safety. What often happens is we we don't do the things that people like myself and others are pushing, and we wait till it gets so bad and so acute that of course you have to uh, talk about bringing in law enforcement, which are you know should be used for acute situations. But it can't be just that. And if you spend more money, resources, and attention on dealing with the thing after it happens, um, you have already missed an important point and uh, you probably have failed. And so my hope is that we don't do that, that we actually, while we're uh, understanding that our law enforcement has a role to play uh, and we have some acute problems that need to be addressed. And so we have to use that tool that we make sure all the tools are there uh, so that we can pull back from the tool of law enforcement and still be able to put the type of safety uh, in place uh, that we know we can and have shown can happen. Be just a little bit more specific for for me and for listeners. When when you 
look ahead, you know, whatever mayor it might be, uh, but but Eric Adams, obviously, in this case, and, and based on what you've you know heard on the on the campaign trail, um, when you look ahead to January and the new administration, what is what is one thing that you know sort of you know quote unquote keeps you up at night about the way that policing could go uh, awry? In your opinion, what's like what is one specific concern? Are we you know are you are you concerned? There's going to be you know, a, a re, uh, reuse of widespread stop and frisk policing, you know, what do you, what do you actually think is a, is a possible negative, you know, scenario under a new administration here? You know, I think about the way things were about 30 years ago uh, when uh, crack and cocaine was introduced into uh, black and brown communities and we saw violence rise. <laughs> and instead of really dealing with the issues uh, in, in a way that we now know we should have, we sent as much law enforcement as possible to these communities. We locked up as many uh, black and brown people as possible. And it really didn't solve the problem in the way that folks thought. And we have people apologizing 30 years later. The worst case scenario is that happens again. I don't think that is the worst. I don't think that that's what would happen based on who I know Eric is. But I think there's gradients um, that I that I just am concerned about. Based on what I know, Eric, I don't think there'll be widespread abuse of stop and frisk. Um, stop, question, frisk has always been a tool that uh, officers need in anywhere in this country in order to stop someone with uh, reasonable suspicion and leading to a frisk uh, and a search of probable cause. It's always That's always been the case. But what happened is that they were not constitutional stops. Um, I don't think we're, that he wants to return there. Um, I just want to make sure that we don't have as the overwhelming response to the issues we're seeing, police and criminal ones, because they don't do the things that people think they do. Or at minimum, there should be other people having this conversation. So one of the things that we saw work in Newark was that it wasn't just the police department around the table looking at uh, statistics. It was a lot of agencies. It was community groups. As a matter of fact, the police department, the police commissioner, uh, you know, uh, had to uh, respond, report, had to report to the public safety commissioner, which uh, uh, executive, I forgot the, the name, but the mm-hmm. public safety person there. So they had a different way of looking at this. And I'm hoping we do that. And I, I am very much uh, encouraged that Eric is looking outside uh, for a police commission. I think there's a lot of good folks in the NYPD, but I think there's a lot of behavior that needs to be unlearned and structures that need to be looked at with fresh eyes. And my hope is that it really comes in with someone um, that can, can do it from a fresh perspective. And so all things being equal, you'd rather bring someone in from outside the NYPD as the next commissioner. Then someone who's in it currently, I think it, mm-hmm. it makes sense uh, not because there isn't some good talent, but one of the things that we saw in Newark as well is um, even as uh, the mayor there, you know, was in a different situation, ended up having to hire some additional officers, brought in a new leadership, and they never learned the old behavior. And so we do have, and everybody knows this, some structural issues uh, within the NYPD that has to be unlearned. Um, and it is safe to say that there's some issues in other agencies as well. So we have to look at those agencies, not just one. Mm-hmm. But YPD in particular, I think it is time for some some fresh eyes to take a look at it. 
Now, Eric Adams, you know, has obviously uh, sort of promised, uh, you know, more police presence and, and in some ways a more assertive police force. Then he's also promised a variety of other things to reform the department, uh, he, you know, speeding up disciplinary action, a whole variety of things that are sort of shake out a bit more and and when you get a chance to, you know, get his ear a bit more and, and hear what he has to say privately about how he's thinking. I am convinced that simple reforms are no longer what we need. And that, that, I think that's been the, the problem of discussion for so many years. This is not just a simple reform. This is a fundamental change of how we look at public safety. Which we there are but those two buckets were just terrible and squandered as far as I'm concerned. So while we have to do that, if we don't ask the fundamental question of um well what is the role of policing within public safety? Do we need police officers to be the ones responding to everything? And if we don't Let's take mental health, for instance, because I think everybody has agreed at this point um, that meant that police officers shouldn't be the primary people responding to mental health. Um, I believe that they shouldn't be the first people responding, uh, period. But we have to ask a question, why is it that the NYPD is the only ones that have access to the type of overtime budget that they do? Why doesn't any other budget, like the, any other agency, like the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, have access to uh, similar overtime? Uh, why aren't they structuralized in the same way? And so we really have to look at this and we have to have the courage to have the conversations because sometimes fear leads us down um, a dark road um, that has long lasting impact. And we have to be able to say, yes, we need our police officers. What else do we need? Because the problem hasn't usually been, um, do we need police officers? The question has usually been, where are the other things that these communities need and have been asking for for a very long time that is getting ignored? On this issue and, and others, there's been a lot of discussion about sort of the politics of New Yorkers, uh, the Democratic electorate, the full city electorate, um, voters of color, uh, different you know political leanings of of. Uh, different age groups, you know, you name it, right? That's what we do in election season. We talk about the different, you know, constituencies and who's winning which groups and and what they're voting on and what they, you know, what they think about different political issues, especially whatever the most pressing things might be at the moment and so on. And so we've seen in this election cycle, we've seen you win citywide again. We saw Brad Lander, uh, you know, who's basically the leftmost candidate in the city controller race. He won citywide. Uh, the two of you have worked together in the city council and beyond on police reform and other issues. Then we saw Eric Adams, you know, winning in the mayoral race in the city council. We've seen this huge increase in uh, women winning seats, but they, you know, they, they span, you know, a wide variety of backgrounds and political philosophies. We saw some Republican pickups in the city council, you know, a small number, but but still significant. Um, how are you thinking about sort of the politics of the city? A city, you're a citywide elected official. You're, you you ran statewide in 2018. You're thinking about running statewide in 2022. How are you thinking about the politics of the city? You know, we saw, uh, you know, in a matter of speaking, your electoral map, Brad Lander's electoral map, 
you know, in the mayoral race, it was basically the the Maya Wiley plus Catherine Garcia electoral map. You know, how are you thinking about the the divergent politics of the New York City electorate right now? Well, I don't think anybody would be surprised that there's diversity of thought in New York City. <laughs> uh, so I think we did see that. What we also have to understand is some of that diversity of thought is not as divergent as people make it out to be. Um, so I do think sometimes people uh, that I hang out with on the left and, and I'm proud to, the quote unquote left, uh, I'm proud to have to do a better job of, of grabbing um, concerns like gun violence and public safety. Uh, we tend to um, sometimes not grab that as, a, as an issue and provide real solutions because they're tough solutions. And in a election, a soundbite is easier for a voter to grasp than the complexities of public safety. And we just have to do a better job of that because gun violence was an issue. It is an issue. Um, you know, I, I don't, this is probably the first time I'm going to say it. A, a bullet went through uh, my mother's car window uh, this summer while it was in her driveway. Um, and so when I think about these things, I'm, I'm thinking about my mom, I'm thinking about my mm. sister, thinking about, you know, this is real issues. And we just have to do a better job of grabbing it because when we don't do that, we let fair run amok and people use that fair uh, and to the disadvantage of folks. And even, you know, they're, they're vote, sometimes voting against their interests. But what I also see is that the quote unquote left, the quote unquote progressive message actually resonates when people take the time to have that discussion. And I know that people kind of want the same things uh, and they are supporting the people who are responding to those things in a real, real way. Uh, whether it's gun violence, whether it's housing, whether it's education, people want to be safe. They want to have a, a, a affordable uh, place to live. They want their children to do better than they did. Um, and, you know, it's funny looking at the results. Obviously, there have been Republican pickups. Um, they had a good night uh, for, you know, just, just speaking. I mean, we had a better night, obviously, but it was still was an unexpectedly good night for Republicans. And that was because Democrats uh, spend too much time, I think, trying to be Republican light instead of uh, really putting forth a vision of who they are. And so very often it's about who we should be voting against and, and also using their type of fear. Uh, but the Democrats, I'm hoping the lesson is, and sadly it doesn't seem like it is, they, they're kind of saying, oh, the moderates are where we have to have to go, whatever that means. But really, we have to put forward a message of what we are, what is our vision for the city and the state and this nation. And when that happens, we win. Uh, and that's a lesson I think is getting lost because sadly Democrats just like Republicans are usually interested in keeping the status quo and keeping an incumbency protection. And so usually anybody who's pushing against that, they just don't support. And we saw that, uh, you know, uh, in Buffalo, which is a whole whole another conversation. I was going to ask you about Buffalo. Go ahead. I mean, you know, I, well, let me let me add a couple of things to the question, and, and I want to hear your take on what happened in Buffalo. But you know, it seems what you're getting at it seems to be a fairly clear, you know, takeaway from the election results when you look outside of New York City, which is, and even a little bit in New York City in terms of you know, in very deep blue New York City, some of the Republican uh, pickups, but. Um, that that Democrats are often losing the messaging battle, just just 
you know, Republicans are extremely disciplined, uh, you know, well, both, you know, both sides can exaggerate at times, but, but sometimes, you know, they're, they're misleadingly disciplined, but, but they're extremely disciplined. Um, and they hit home a message that often Democrats are, are, you know, flat footed in responding to whether it's on bail reform or taking on, you know, defund the police, which seems like I'm interested in your take on this as well, you know, seems to have really been uh, a tactical error for, you know, for Democratic, you know, elected officials and candidates to pick up that, um, you know, that slogan and that mantle in any significant way. What what are your thoughts on on both what happened in Buffalo and the messaging battle that you're you're kind of getting at there? Not only it's worse than getting the Democrats getting caught flat footed, they actually start to side with the Republicans in their argument. They start to feed the fear that Republicans are pushing instead of pushing back. And so it's just amazing to me that, you know, I keep hearing people blaming wokeness and and these types of uh, things when the Democrats never adopted it to begin with. And so they spent a year or more fighting those things, and now you're blaming them for the loss. And you mentioned defund police, and I think that's perfect. The Democrats joined Republicans uh, in bashing and fighting against activists in the street. Why, Why would you do that? Why would you spend time trying to tell activists how to express themselves? That's not your job. Our job is to take that expression and turn it into real practical practical solutions and policies. Now, you don't have to agree with the word defund, but your energy is probably better spent in figuring out what it is that they're trying to explain, express, and get some messaging that lets people know that you too support public safety. And you too, like most people, want to make sure that everything has the adequate funding that are needed, including people who are going to address mental health, including people who are going to provide services uh, uh, for uh, for students in school. There was a way to message that. But as usual, they lack the courage and are more worried, again, about status quo, about incumbency protection. And so they want to very often join in with Republicans and being Republican light and Republican light versus Republican. We found out the Republicans win. My it isn't is part that- of it. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And my hope is that we can find messaging that works with what we say we believe in. You ask anybody who will dis- disagree with defund the police. Um, and of course, the messaging uh, you know, may have been chosen differently, but that's the message they chose. And you break down what it actually meant in pieces. And most people would agree with you. It's like people who uh, hated Obamacare but wanted to keep the Affordable Care Act so they can keep their health insurance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to take the time to break that down. And in Buffalo, it was even worse. You literally had Democratic establishment supporting the candidate uh, that Carl Palladino and Trump Republicans did mailings for and was supporting. So afraid of the status quo being lost. And that was another Republican win that occurred there. Mm-hmm. All right. I don't have too much longer with you. So I want to ask you, you have, you know, been uh, exploring this run for governor. You uh, have have more or less said publicly, you told one of our Gotham Gazette reporters at your election night party uh, the other, you know, last week. And you've said in other venues, 
you know, that you're, you're closing out the exploratory committee. You're going to have, you know, another announcement soon. It seems like you're getting into this race for governor. Um, are you jumping in and, uh, what, you know, looking at, uh, governor Kathy Hochul running, you know, on, uh, for a term, uh, for election as a term to go to governor and, uh, with attorney general, Letitia James in the race, how are you, you know, forecasting the way this race is going to shake out? We're expecting Bill de Blasio to jump into the race, maybe Tom Swazi, others. Um, should we expect you to be to be getting in soon? And um, and how are you thinking about the the sort of politics of this primary that's coming up? Well, we're going to be making an official uh, official uh, statement in the in the coming days. Um, I don't think. There'll be uh, a much surprise, but we're going to be closing out uh, the exploratory committee and officially um, uh, saying what we're going to be doing. We did try to make it very, very clear as voters were going into the voting booth um, that this is something we were strongly, strongly considering, just so we can um, be honest. And I think I know from what I've seen that that voters, to your earlier question, are rejecting politics as usual. They're literally rejecting the status quo. and I, I believe our message is one that's in line with that. What Democrats are failing to capitalize on are that voters don't want the politics as usual and they don't want the status quo anymore because they realize that it didn't work for them before the pandemic and it certainly didn't work for them now. And Republicans have gotten that message and they're willing to destroy the country on that message. Um, Democrats haven't gotten that message. Um, even when it's when it can help heal the nation and keep the nation united, even when it is actually the right message. And, uh, you know, the vision that that we have always put forth is rooted around pushing back on the status quo on behalf of the people of um, that we're representing. I don't think anyone else would have the, the, a similar message. I was one who didn't think if, if Letitia James was in this race that that you would get in. Can you explain to that point about that message that you think is unique to you about pushing back on the status quo, what you think really separates you? Um, because well, it seems like, yeah, go ahead. Happy to have a conversation when we make an official declaration. <laughs> um, but I, I will say again, what I have been saying in the exploratory committee we're not going to, uh, we're going to primarily focus on the vision that we have, um, that we've always had, and the vision that we want to present. And mm-hmm. really, this uh, notion of uh, against one person or against another person, I think the AG has been doing a good job uh, as the, the Attorney General. Um, the vision that we have, I think, is a unique space in um, really pushing the things that haven't always been, uh, you know, politically popular, but the people have wanted them, uh, and we've been fairly consistent on that. Again, we well, ran. What, what are a couple of examples of that? What 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 are? I mean, are you talking ran, about you know universal health care and um, you know uh, much more sweeping uh, tenant protections? You know, what are, what are you talking about there? Well, you know, just recently, I think the governor's made it very clear that there's. Um, we're not going to raise any taxes. And again, that's another that's another messaging issue that we should just tackle. Of course, we don't want to raise taxes on the vast majority of, of folks who are here, but we should invite billionaires who actually literally have gotten richer during the pandemic 
to the conversation of civic responsibility. Uh, and I think if we can reframe that conversation, it will be a lot easier than, than people think. And I will say again, I ran in 2018 um, against the, the, the current governor, Lieutenant Governor at the time. And I really said they have to have people in Albany who are gonna push back on the type of things that the governor was doing then. And we've seen just removing the governor, uh, Governor Cuomo doesn't change how Albany is operating. Um, you can see in how Jay Jacobs is doing uh, business with the Democratic Party. You can see some of the messaging that's uh, coming out, uh, like with the taxes, um, that there may not be, there's a lot of room for doing things transformationally different. We need a transformational economy at this time. Um, and we're, you know, we're, we presented that vision during the exploratory committee, and we got a lot of, a lot of good feedback. Mm-hmm. Last couple of questions. You know, sometimes you hear people say we sh- we should be taxing the the very wealthiest, and as you say, we don't want to. You know, Democrats don't want to raise taxes on on just about everybody, but there's a small group of people doing really well that can afford to pay more. Okay, but I but I didn't really hear you say what do you want to use that money for? You know, I mean, New, the New York City budget is a hundred billion dollars. The New York State budget is basically twice that. Um, what what do you want to use additional revenue for that that's not happening right now? Well, some of that, just be clear, some of that revenue is one time, is one time, it's not going to come back again. So mm-hmm. we definitely have to uh, fill some of those gaps. Um, we have uh, a, a income targeted housing uh, crisis that's going to take a lot of money um, to retain the affordable units that we have and to build, we have to subsidize very deeply building low-income units and supportive housing. And that's going to take a lot of money. If we want to look at public safety differently, if we want to say that there are other agencies that need to have access to uh, the type of overtime that some of our law enforcement agencies do, um, that's going to take some money, uh, funding. If we want to uh, fund community groups that actually are using evidence-based models to address gun violence. But while law enforcement has unlimited overtime, they literally have to struggle to get an additional shift uh, so they can cover the time periods where the gun violence is increasing. That's going to take money. So there's a lot of different places uh, where we need um, additional revenue. There's also a lot of waste. And so I don't want to just look at the revenue raising. We have to look at where things are being wasteful. But to foreclose on uh, revenue uh, that can be helpful there. Uh, I think it's irresponsible. Reframing the conversation uh, in a way that I think is about civic responsibility uh, is is uh, a more productive way of doing it. When you look at the election results around New York State, uh, Long Island, uh, some other places, now now things swing, right? These are the first elections after Democratic president took office. We're obviously looking ahead to the midterms next year, but but you know things do swing, but. I would imagine, and I've had some of these conversations, you know, privately with some people, you know, sort of on the quote unquote left, that there's, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's got to be a little bit of alarm where, you know, someone like yourself looks at some of these results and, you know, I, I could see you being able to win a statewide primary, but do you look at, at some of what we've seen around New York State and say, if I get to the general election, 
I could be in some serious trouble given how moderate to conservative so much of the state looks like it is. Is that, you know, is is there not an argument coming out of this this election and, and others that we've seen? Andrew Cuomo winning his his three terms as governor, for example. Are there not arguments that, you know, that New York voters, by and large, even though there's a Democratic advantage, certainly are a kind of moderate. It's a, it's a fairly moderate state. So uh, one just back to Buffalo, if the Democratic Party actually um, just followed the own rules that it set, um, India probably would have won. And so she had to go against the entirety of the Republican Party and a very large portion of the Democratic Party. That's an, that's an unfair fight. Um, is the rest of New York State purple? It is. Um, I still am one to agree. I'm still one to believe that messaging is really important. And what we found very often, even when I am speaking with people who um, don't have the same views as me, when we get to sit down and speak with folks, people agree with me more than they think they do. And that's because if we can get out of the media sound bites and have a real conversation, moderate, progressive, conservative, all want the same thing. I don't think Democrats are doing a good job of actually showing how they're going to do that. They don't really oftentimes show the vision. It's really about who's the boogeyman, we're not them. Um, and um, let's go that direction. So I think there's another direction another tack that we have to take. Um, I think uh, people, you know, I always have to remind folks, the amount of legislation that we've been able to get passed thanks to working with partners in the council, I couldn't do without being pragmatic and without being able to listen to people and, and make sure that we address their concerns. And I think that's really what you need to do. Uh, and I, that is, that's what this state needs at this moment in time. I also know that people know me and know that uh, even if they disagree with me, they believe I believe it. <laughs> I think it's important to have uh, someone who you know, you know who they are. They're the same person in front of the camera in the back room. And I think there's some value in that, uh, you know, knowing that, okay, this is who this person is. I don't have to worry. They, they said this here, they're going to say it over there. Um, and I think, it, you know, that's something that's valuable uh, in 2021 and 2022 as well. In your final 15 seconds, Bill de Blasio is listening and he's thinking about running for governor. What's your what's your message to to your longtime uh, associate? You know, based on the things that people have, uh, have been telling me the past couple of weeks, uh, <laughs> I don't know uh, that I have anything to say besides, um, you know, this is a democracy is one of the things uh, that have protected us in this past few years. And sadly, it's one of the things that people are coming after now in, in, um, in the, some of the conservative circles, uh, but it does allow people to run. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's not much I can say about that. I'm considering my own run. All right. Jamani Williams, appreciate the time as always. Uh, and we will probably have uh, plenty more reason to chat with you in the near future, it seems, but uh, thanks for the time and, and be well. Thank you. Peace and blessings. All right. Take care.